I, uh, I, I remember I shared a little bit about the triathlon I did last year and, and some of the, uh, uh, the journey of that. The last bit of it, you know, triathlon, you swim. Uh, we swam, I think, 500 meters, somewhere in there. 300 meters, I forgot. And, and so we swam, and then we biked about 15 miles. And the last leg is, is you run. Uh, you run about three miles, uh, 5K. And, and so that, that was the hardest bit for me, going from the bike to the running. And, and um, what I had noticed as I was going to mile two, that it was mostly downhill. Um, and <laughs> there's a turnaround, which meant mile three. <laughs> yeah. And so when you're doing something like this, you are constantly talking to yourself. Constantly talking to yourself when, when you're going through a contest, going through a struggle, going through a, 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 an athletic deal like that. And so um, all the while, it, this whole three miles, it's, it's constant debate. I'm going to walk or I'm not. I'm going to walk or I'm not. That's what I'm, that's what I'm mainly um, dealing with. That's what my discussion, internal discussion. And I had pretty well foregone, I'm not walking. I'm running this deal. I, I can do it. I can do it. And so as I get to uh, mile three, and I'm turning around, I'm going uphill. I'm going halfway up the hill. I'm thinking, you know, there's a, there's a flat stretch right there, and uh, there's some water. They give out water. That's probably good. I'm just going to walk that section, all right? And so I, I do that. I start walking, and, man, as I start walking, my legs cramp up. I'm thinking, I better start running. I better start running because if I keep walking... I'm not going to finish this deal. And the only thing I can do is I'm going to, I'm going to run again. I'm going to run again. And so I, I drink the water and I start running. And I forget about the pain for a little bit. And thinking, you know what? If I can just get up this hill, they've got a nice spread of some pizza, some pasta, some fruit. I, let me just get there. And so I'm constantly talking to myself throughout all this. What he's telling us here is that when you live life, there are going to be struggles in your life when you're going to say, you know what? Do I really have to stay true to what Christ is saying here? I mean, can I just compromise on this point here? I mean, really, what's the big deal? Can I just live with this person? Why, why do I have to stand out so differently at this, at this point? Or can I just compromise on this level in my job? Can I just lie at this point? I mean, what's the big deal anyway? Can I just, you know... And so we have this internal struggle going on. But listen, what I want to say to you is, is God has carried you up to this point. As I, One of the things that, that got me going through that race is that, you know, I've done it so far. I've run so far. I've biked so far. I've swam this far. Surely I can just do one more mile and, and then it'll be over with. And so what he's saying is consider all that Christ has done for you. Look back to how God has carried you through to the point that you're in now after you were enlightened, how God has helped you through that point of struggle, being exposed to reproach and affliction. You've you stepped out. When you have made a stand for Christ, when you've been baptized, when you just start going to church, folks start calling you religious, not understanding that it has nothing to do with our effort to get right with God. There's something different between religion and gospel, okay? But nonetheless, they, they mark you. And you become that Bible person, that Bible thumper. That, you know, that, you just sing about God. I mean, you just go to Sunday school. You become marked. God has carried you to this point. And I just want to say, God's not finished with you. There's something else he's taken you to. Be partners with this. You know, what these folks were about to go into, and, the, and what was ahead of them, the Roman writer Tactius 
describes the public persecutions that were going to happen in the horizon of this, this occasion when, when the author's writing Hebrews. He says, Their death was made a matter of sport. They were covered in wild beast skins, torn to pieces by dogs, were fastened to crosses and set on fire in order to serve as torches by night when daylight failed. Those are the believers of that time period. You think about what scripture has to say. Jesus, Jesus said something about this. John 15, verse 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Did Jesus know what he was talking about? Maybe he should put a little caveat. This is going to be true for all disciples. Unless you happen to live in the 21st century, 20th century, in a country called America. You know, forget, just disregard what I have to say. It doesn't apply to you. Maybe that's what Jesus should have said. Or maybe we should be saying to ourselves... Maybe following Christ means a little bit more than the American form of Christianity. Which one do you think is more believable? Christ has got it wrong? Or maybe we got it wrong? Acts 14.22, Luke records that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This is what gripped Jim Elliot. One of the things that gripped Jim Elliot found in a passage similar to this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, I have done no suffering, therefore I will do no more reigning. He was a missionary in Ecuador, Alca Indians. God heard his prayer. Allowed him to go through some suffering. I don't think we should necessarily pray for suffering. But maybe we should pray that we would be kingdom citizens. And not just American citizens. It seems to me that followers of Christ ought to have some points of difference between American Christianity. A Christianity that's been molded to an acceptable form in our government. The book of Romans, Paul tells us that we should exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, improving character, improving character, hope. It makes you think, maybe this is what um, that small group, that church was encouraging and exhorting one another to do, to provoke into love and good works. Maybe it was, it was to say, you know, Jeff, have you, um, uh, has anybody visited uh, Sue in prison? Has anybody visited James in prison? Jeff, maybe, what, hey, has that been on your heart to do? What, it's been on my heart. Will you go with me? We want to show the love of Christ. Yeah, I know, I know they'll take our name down, and they'll take our address down, and they'll mark where we live and where our family lives. But you know what? I just have it in my heart that God wants us to do that. Let's go to prison. Let's encourage one another to provoke to love and to good works. And I think we've just settled for just how you feeling today. 
Feeling okay? You got a few amount of aches and pains? How did we get here? Well, we're just content about how we feel as opposed to what's happening for the kingdom of the Lord. Verse 34, for you had compassion of those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Oh my. So what happened is they, they got their name down. They got the address down. Hey, Trey's got some nice stuff and he visited uh, uh, Sherlin in prison. Fair game. No one's going to step up for him. So a whole group of folks come over to Trey's house. Nice entertainment center. Let's take it out. Oh, there's a car. Someone grab the car. Let's, let's, Trey's going to call the police, and the police says, oh, yeah, we, we know who you are. I guess that's what you get for not worshiping Caesar. And so what do you do? What do you cry out for justice? But notice what, verse 34, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Now, I've got to be honest. I get upset when someone steals something from me. You know? I, I've, had, I've had that happen, and that was a nice little uh, experience in learning about anger. Uh, we get angry about things like that. But here, they joyfully accepted their stuff taken away. Can someone please explain to me why are they so weird? Why are they so different? What's up with them? Well, fortunately, verse 34 tells us the explanation. Why are they so different? Why are they so weird? Well, they're, they're weird because they are expecting a better possession. They are expecting a biting one. They're weird because they're not living for this society. They're weird because they don't care so much about their stuff that's going on in the here and now that they bought with their dollars or whatever uh, coinage they had. They're weird because they were living for a heavenly kingdom. So if they're weird, what does that make us? Perhaps that makes us not seeking Christ, but seeking this world because it looks so appealing. We look forward to what God has in store for us. When we deal with persecutions, when we deal with adversity like this, what do we do? We, we, look, forward, we look back to what, how God has carried us, but we also look forward to what God has in store for us. And there's a better possession and an abiding one. What is this possession that's being talked about here? Well, in chapter 2, verse 15 of Hebrews, he talks about the triumph of Jesus over death. In chapter 4, verse 9, he talks about Jesus giving us the final rest for saints in the age to come, that he is our rest. In chapter 10, verse 13, he says that Jesus is the one who's subduing us of all of all our enemies. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, Jesus is the one that gives us perfect purification for our conscience. And in chapter 8, verse 12, is Jesus that is involved in the removal and forgetting of all of our sins. And Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19 through 25, is through Jesus that we can be near to God. And chapter 8, verse 11, is through Jesus that we can know God. And chapter 8, verse 10, is through Jesus that he will be our God forever. The better possession that's in question here is not a thing, but a who. It's Jesus Christ. So he's bringing out, you can't seek Christ and seek the platitudes of your family. You can't do both. You can't seek Christ and try to raise your comfort level. 
Let me just share with you something I've been guilty of. It came to my attention that somewhere along the way, that anytime there was an increase in money, my first thought was, how can I make my life more comfortable? You get a raise. Some money comes in the mail. Some friends give you something. Christmas comes. Bonus comes. And you think, oh, now I can make my life better somehow. Why? Because my heart is seeking this world. But they looked at this as, um, you know what? We gave away that money. I have joy because my treasure's not here. My treasure's somewhere else. And they can't take that away from me. I think about Matthew 6, verse 19 and 24. Jesus was trying to get us in this level. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So look, your heart's going wherever your mind's going, where your eyes are going, where you're investing in. What's the problem with that? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness What does it have to do with the previous passage? He says, look, if your heart is set on possessions of this earth, then you've got a dark heart. You've got dark eyes. And if your eyes are dark, then how great is the darkness? Well, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for you. You either hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 22 and 23 is about living for money versus living for Christ. It's about having your heart invested in Christ or invested in the things of this earth. I think one of the challenges we need to do in our church budget this year is figure out how great a percentage can we put it toward the kingdom of God. Not how nice we can get a building, but how can this building be used for the kingdom of God. Not whether or not hey, we really need to get this ministry for us so that more people will come here and, and they'll have something for us. But how can we put this toward the kingdom of heaven? Look forward to what God has in store for you. Verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence. That means cast off as trash. Do not consider your confidence as trash. His confidence is in Christ and the shed blood. You see this in chapter 10, verse 19, chapter 4, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 6. Why? Because the confidence in Christ has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. This endurance is going to require confidence in Christ, not confidence in your ability, but what Christ can carry you through. The endurance is literally to abide under. How long can you abide, abide under struggle, persecution? pain, difficulty. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37, he gives us the third way of how to get out of apathy and, dif- and discouragement. We talked about what the, the look back to how God has carried us. We talked about look forward to what God has in store for us and say, I'm going to be living for that. I'm not on this world's team. So I, I'm not investing that. 
You know, it's important for umpires, referees. It's a bad thing when a referee is on somebody's team. They're, they're, they're following another, another principle altogether. They're following the law of the umpire, the law of the ref. They call it as they see it. In a lot of ways, we're kind of like umpires. We're following another law, another land. If you're playing soccer and the umpire starts going around kicking the ball around, something bad's going on right there. If you're playing baseball and the umpire picks up the ball and throws it toward first, something bad happened right there. If you've got umpire out there on the football field and, and makes a tackle, all right, uh, a big line's been crossed. But how many of us, following a different law, yet subject ourselves to the things of this world? We're the ones making the tackles, making the plays, and investing our mind about stuff, about things, about houses, about power of this world. We're not to be playing in that. We were reflecting something different. So we come to verse 37. What else do we do? We look up to what we have in Christ. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and he starts bringing, he's bringing Old Testament to bear. For yet a little while, and he's quoting from Isaiah, verse 26 to 21. Uh, the coming one will come and will not delay. And so now he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so he's mixing up texts together here. But he, he harkens back to a day and time when folks understood that Christ was enough, or God was enough, faith is, faith is enough. In fact, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, that book that uh, the just shall live by faith comes from. There's another refrain, verse 17 and 19, where the, where the prophet says, that the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the oil fell. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, you got major economic collapse. Though these things happen, yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In other words, you know, the economy has totally failed, but I still have God. And that can't be taken from me. And let's consider... What do we have in Christ? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added into you. What's implied is if you seek Christ, all these things that your heart's hungry for, there's going to be wrapped up in that. But if you don't seek Christ first, you're going to lose it all. The things that you're living for are not going to last. And you miss out on Christ because you didn't live for him. You didn't trust in him. You didn't treasure him. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. So one of my goals every week that you come here and you listen to me, my goal is to tell you what you have in Christ. Because if I can teach you a little bit more about Christ, to help you trust in Christ a little bit more, obedience is going to flow from that. Change of life is going to come from that. What do you have in Christ? I've come across um, 
Some, in fact, some of those who were at the Focus on the Marriage Conference heard a reference to these letters, um, letters written by um, Chris, Christopher Love, a Puritan, in the 1650s, and his wife Mary Love. Christopher Love was uh, falsely accused uh, in that day and time. This is in, in the days uh, in England. And basically he was uh, challenged to say, from now on for the rest of your life, you will submit to the role of your government. And every decision the government makes, you will agree with. Don't ever do that. In America, don't do that. But what was going on is that the church in England was ruled by the government of England. And so when they were making a statement like that, they were saying, yeah, over matters of faith, King Henry VIII is the one <laughs> that, that calls the shots. And so Christopher was not, uh, by his convictions of the word of God, saying, I- I'm not doing that. There were others arrested at the time. They uh, submitted, consented. They were all released. Christopher did not. And so what was in front of him was prison and a beheading. He was in the Tower of London. And him and his wife, they, they write each other some letters. And what they see, what, you, what I want you to see in this letter is that they were holding on to what they had in Christ. And they saw that what they had in Christ was better than what they had in this life. And so I just want to read to you some of this. I want to go back a few hundred years to show you believers still can do this. But it's based on whether or not you hold on to what's in Christ and see it's more important than what's around you. That you look to see what God will do in the future. That you hold on to what's in store. Not just in this life to come, but in what God has to store in eternal life. And you look back to how God has carried you. So July 14th, 1651. They are thinking that he will be executed the next day. So Mary writes this letter. Before I write a word further, I beseech thee, think not that it is thy wife, but a friend now that writes to thee. I hope that thou hast freely given up thy wife and children to God, who had said in Jeremiah 49, 11, leave thy fatherless children. I will preserve them alive and let thy widow trust in me. Thy maker will be my husband and a father to thy children. Oh, that the Lord will keep thee from having one troubled thought for thy relations, I desire freely to give thee up into thy father's hands. And not only look upon it as a crown of glory for thee to die for Christ, but as an honor to me that I should have a husband to leave for Christ. I dare not speak to thee, nor have a thought within my own heart of my unspeakable loss. But wholly keep my eye fixed upon thy inexpressible, inconceivable gain. Thou leavest but a sinful, mortal wife to be everlasting married to Lord of glory. Thou leavest but children, brothers, and sisters to go to the Lord Jesus, thy eldest brother. Thou leavest friends on earth to go to the enjoyment of saints and angels and the spirits of just men made perfect in glory. Thou dost but leave earth for heaven and changest a prison for a palace. And if natural affections should begin to rise, I hope that spirit of grace that is within thee will quiet thee knowing that all things here below are but dung and dross in comparison to those things that are above. I know thou keepest thine eye fixed on the hope of glory, which makes thy feet trample on the loss of the earth. My dear, I know God hath not only prepared glory for thee and thee for it, 
but I am persuaded that he will sweeten the way for thee to come to the enjoyment of it. When thou art putting on thy clothes that morning, O think, I am now putting on my wedding garments to go to be everlastingly married to my Redeemer. When the messenger of death comes to thee, let him not seem dreadful to thee, but look on him as a messenger that brings thee tidings of eternal life. When thou goest up the scaffold, think, as thou saidest to me, that it is but thy fiery chariot to carry thee up to thy father's house. And when thou layest down thy precious head to receive thy father's stroke, remember that thou said to me, Though thy head was severed from the body, yet in a moment thy soul should be united to thy head, the Lord Jesus in heaven. And though it may seem something bitter, that by the hands of men we are parted a little sooner than otherwise we might have been, yet let us consider that it is the decree and will of our Father that it will not be long ere we should enjoy one another in heaven again. Let us comfort one another with these sayings. Be comforted, my dear heart. It is but a little stroke, and thou shalt be where the weary shall be at rest, and where the wicked shall cease from troubling. Remember that thou mayest eat thy dinner with bitter herbs, yet thou shalt have a sweet supper with Christ that night. My dear, by what I write unto thee, I do not hereby undertake to teach thee, for these comforts I have received from the Lord by thee. I will write no more, nor trouble thee any further, but commit thee in the arms of God with him ere long thee I and I shall be. Farewell, my dear. I shall never see thy face more till we behold both the face of the Lord Jesus at that great day. He writes back, My dearest beloved, I am now going to my long home. Yet I must write thee a word before I go thence, and shall be seen no more. It is to beg thee to be comforted in my gain, and not to be troubled in thy loss. Labor to suppress thy inward fears, now that thou art under outward sorrows. As thy outward sorrows abound, let thy consolations in Christ also abound. I know thou art a woman of a sorrowful spirit. My time is short. I have but a few words of counsel to give thee. And then I shall leave thee to God, who careth for thee and thine. While thou art under desertions, labor rather to strengthen and clear up thy evidences for heaven than question them. Remember a faith of adherence or reliance the Lord Jesus brings thee to heaven, though thou want the faith of evidence of assurance. Labor to find that and more also in God, which thou hast lost, which thou, thou hast lost in the creature. Spend not thy days in heavy, heaviness for my death. If there were knowledge of things below or sorrow in heaven, I should grieve to think my beloved should mourn on earth. Lie under a soul-searching ministry. I know thou art not a sponge here, sucking in foul water as well as fair. God hath given thee a good understanding to be able to discern things that differ. As the mouths taste meat, thy ear trieth words. Be conversant in Christian meetings and much in the exercises of mortification and fastings and prayers. Yet have respect to the weakness of thy body and thy present condition. Have a care of thyself and babes. God will take care of thee and them. I can write no more. Farewell, my dear. Farewell, farewell. My dear, I beg thee to be satisfied. My heart is greatly comforted in God. I can quietly submit to the good pleasure of his will. I hope thou dost so also. I am delivered by the determinate counsel of God. The will of the Lord be done. Read for thy comfort when I am dead and gone. Jeremiah 49.11, the beginning of 12. Isaiah 9, Psalm 5.6. And 146, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18, and Hebrews 12, 6, and 7. These are the last words written by thy dying yet comforted husband. Another month goes on, not realizing it. 
So in the very last two letters, she writes, I call thee so, my heavenly dearie, because God hath put heaven into thee before we have taken thee to heaven. Thou now beholdest God, Christ, and glory as in the glass, but tomorrow heaven's gate will be opened. Thou shalt be in the full enjoyment of all these glories, which I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither can the heart of man understand. God hath now swallowed up thy heart in the thoughts of heaven. But ere long thou shalt be swallowed up in the enjoyment of heaven. And no marvel there should be such quietness and calmness in thy spirit, while thou art selling in the tempted sea, because thou perceivest by the eye of faith a haven of rest, where thou shalt be rightly laden with all the glories of heaven. O lift up thy heart with joy when thou layest thy dear head on the block. And the thought of this that thou art laying thy head to rest in the Father's bosom, which when thou dost wake shall be crowned, not with the early fading crown, but with a heavenly eternal crown of glory. Be not discouraged when thou shalt see a guard of soldiers triumphing with their trumpets about thee, but lift up thy head, and thou shalt behold God with the heart of his holy angels triumphing to receive thee to glory. Be not dismayed at the scoffs and reproaches that thou mayest meet with in thy short way to heaven. For be assured that God will not only glorify thy body and soul in heaven, but he will also make the memory of thee to be glorious on earth. O let not one troubled thought for thy wife and babes arise within. Thy God will be our God and our portion. He will be a husband to thy widow, a father to thy children. The grace of thy God will be sufficient for us. Now, my dear, I desire willingly and cheerfully to resign my right in thee to thy father and my father, who hath the greatest interest in thee, and confident I am that men have separated us for a time, yet our God will ere long bring us together again, where we shall eternally enjoy one another, never depart more. Oh, let me hear how God brings up thy heart. Let me taste of those comforts that support thee, that they may be as pillars of marvelous to bear up my sinking spirit. I write no more. Farewell, farewell, my dear, till we meet there, where we shall never bid farewell more, to which time I leave thee in the bosom of a loving, tender-hearted father, and so I rest, till I shall forever rest in heaven. In his very last letter. My most gracious beloved, I am now going from a prison to a palace. I have finished my work. I am now to receive my wages. I am now going to heaven where are two of my children, and leave thee on earth where there are three of my babes, one of which was in her bosom. Those two above need not my care, but the three below need thine. It comforts me to think two of my children are in the bosom of Abraham and three of them will be in the arms and care of so tender a godly mother. I know thou art a woman of a sorrowful spirit, yet be comforted. Though thy sorrow be great for thy husband's going out of the world, yet the pain shall be the less in bringing thy child into the world. Thou shalt be a joyful mother, though thou beest a sad widow. God hath many mercies in store for thee. The prayers of a dying husband for thee will not be lost. To my shame I speak it. I never prayed so much for thee at liberty as I have done in prison. I cannot write more, but I have a few practical counsels to give thee. Keep under a sound, orthodox, and soul-searching ministry. Bring up thy children in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. Pray in thy family daily, that thy dwelling may be in the number of the families that call upon God. Labor for a meek and quiet spirit, which is the sight of God of great price. Pour not on the comforts thou wantest, but on the mercies thou hast. Look rather at God's end of afflicting than at the measure and degree of thy affliction. Labor to clear up thy evidences for heaven when God takes from thee the comforts of earth as thy sufferings do abound. If ever I have confidence touching the grace of another, I have confidence of grace in thee. I can say thee as Peter did, 
I am persuaded that this is the grace of God wherein thou standest. O my dear soul, wherefore dost thou doubt, whose heart hath been upright, whose walkings have been holy, I could venture my soul in thy soul's stead, such a confidence I have of thee. Rejoice in my joy. To mourn for me inordinately argues that the either thou envious or suspectest my happiness. The joy of the Lord is my strength. O let it be also thine. Dear wife, farewell. I will call thee wife no more. I shall see thy face no more. Yet I am not much troubled, for now I'm going to meet the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom I shall be eternally married. Thy dying yet most affectionate friend till death. Let's pray.